If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. We are looking at 12 apostles, which started off as 12 disciples. I'll begin reading in verse 2. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go the way of the Gentiles and do not enter the city of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Father, help us to have ears to hear. Father, help us to rejoice that you took 12 no-names, 12 men that had no reason to even have notice. And Father, you took them and you turned the world upside down. Father, we stand today before you, no names. Father, I pray that as we look at each of these individuals, their personalities, we can also watch the hand of providence in their lives to the hand of you who spoke existence into being. Lord, it's amazing to me what you do with just common people. Help us to have ears to hear, hearts to hunger, and souls that thirst for you and you alone. In Christ's name, amen. When I look at this, you got two sets of brothers, tax collector, a zealot is a politician. And God uses this group to turn the world upside down. But I shared with you that he called his 12 disciples. Disciples are learners. And then the names of the apostles, the word apostle means sent out. They were sent by a representative on behalf of that representative. We looked at him. Peter, everybody knows Peter. Most Christians that I talk to identify with Peter. You know, we have our moments when we're really close to Jesus and we can't keep our mouth shut. We have our other moments that we're not close to Jesus and we still can't keep our mouth shut. Peter would be in the category of natural born leader. Natural born leaders always ask questions. But natural born leaders always have the answers too. Okay, and sometimes they make up answers. Then you have his brother. He's always listed in the gospel record as Peter's brother. Peter's brother. But Andrew was the first one called. And when he was called, what was the first thing he did? Went and told Peter. Andrew was an evangelist. Tradition has it that he was crucified on a cross shaped like an X. And they said because of the style of that crucifixion, it nearly took him two days to die. And for two days and two nights, he preached the gospel hanging on a cross. He never stopped. Then you have the sons of thunder. John and James. James was the first apostle martyred. Herod killed him with a sword. 
which means that his ministry was powerful, which means he was uh, the proverbial in your face. They arrested Peter, didn't kill him. Multiple chances. Peter's the one who went into the temple. Right at Pentecost, 5,000 people came to salvation. But they killed. They killed James. And we know John. John died of natural causes, probably in his late 90s. And he was still amazed that God loved him. That God loved him. We also saw Philip. Philip knew Bartholomew in Matthew's Gospel. Some of your Gospels may call him Nathaniel. I'll explain that in a minute. But Philip is the one, him and Nathaniel probably knew each other. Philip probably was a fisherman because of where he lived in Bethsaida. And they were expecting Messiah. The Jewish population was under extreme oppression under Roman rule. They were looking for hope. Look at us, what we do when we have an election. This is going to be great. And then in four years, you're like, well, I'm glad that's over. Okay, but we keep thinking, you know, if things are bad, well, if we can just get, and we still do it today. Philip was looking for Messiah. But he was looking as typical. I'm looking for a political leader who will come in, run the Romans out, and set up a really nice, cushy community. And ain't that what we do? I mean, seriously? And we're all that way. We're all guilty of it. But we're looking for who can make our life comfortable. And they understood that Messiah was in Scriptures. Messiah's all over the Old Testament. I remember reading Charles Spurgeon. He was speaking of the Old Testament. He said the Old Testament is the most eloquent mansion that has ever been built in every detail. It is beyond your comprehension of its beauty. And the New Testament turns all the lights on so you see the detail. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. But that's Spurgeon. <laughs> I, I don't come up with that stuff. So let's look at Bartholomew. Nathaniel Bartholomew is his name. All right? Let me share with you something that I have experienced in my short life. Prejudice. I lived back in uh, southern Ohio till the late 70s. My best friend in Ohio was a black man. He was the first black man to ever get hired on a fire department in the state of Ohio. All right. <laughs> and he was a character. He had to be a character because look who he was hanging out with. I took him one time. We were down at a Cincinnati Reds baseball game one time. He got up to go to the bathroom or something. And the guy sitting next to me says, Hey, is that Bill Cosby? <laughs> and I said, Yeah. <laughs> he came back and sat down. And the guy hands him a program and says, Mr. Cosby, would you sign this? And Fred signed it, Bill Cosby. <laughs> so, what can I say? Some things never change. But one of the things that I did see when I was growing up was prejudice. Was prejudice. Prejudice is based on the feelings of superiority. I'm better than you for fill in the blank. 
and it's a prejudice. It's very ugly. It's a very ugly sin. Dr. John MacArthur was thrown in jail in Alabama in 1969, spent 10 days in jail in Alabama. You know why? He preached at a black church. Okay? It's very ugly. It is a amazing fuel for hatred. When I look at the conflicts that exist, if you know something about Pastor Paul in Myanmar, he uh, is in, they call it the hill country, it's up toward the Chinese border. During World War II, the lowlands allied with the Japanese, the highlands allied with the allies. They hate each other to this day. It's based on prejudice. How many conflicts over the centuries have been based on this? I am better than you. It will even divide nations. You can go look at the nation of Israel. And when I watch prejudice, and it's alive and well today, it doesn't do anything but bring misery. But one of the things that I've noticed about prejudice It is most damning when it blinds people to God's Word. Jonah, we were just talking about Jonah, was prejudiced against the Assyrians. He refused to go to Nineveh. He decided to go fishing. He didn't realize he would be the bait. He did not want to preach to them. God had commanded Jonah to go preach to him. And if God has commanded you to go preach to these people, you know what that means to the preacher? God's going to do a mighty work. Jonah didn't want a mighty work done to the Assyrians. God has amazing ways of convincing people, as he did Jonah. And he convinced Jonah to obey him. And yet he wanted to die because the people of Nineveh repented. And God spared them. That's the depth of Jonah's prejudice. There was prejudice in Bartholomew. The word you see, Bartholomew. Have you ever seen this phrase, Bar-Jonah? You know what that means? Son of Jonah. Bartholomew is son of Ptolemy. So his name is Nathan, Nathaniel, son of Ptolemy. Go to the Gospel of John chapter 1, 45 and following, and you will see Philip found Nathaniel. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. See there? (laughs) Told you. And he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What was Nathanael's response? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and see. 
So Philip found Nathanael, so he knew Nathanael. He knew from where he was. Nathanael was a student of the Word. He was looking for Messiah. He was looking for an individual sent by God to rescue the nation of Israel. But he couldn't understand how Messiah could come out of Nazareth. How could that be? See, Nazareth is on the fringes of the Jewish world. You go just a little north of Nazareth, and you are in the Gentile world. One author said it was the last stop before being defiled. Okay? Now, it is possible that the people of Cana, where Nathaniel's hometown was, were more educated, maybe more refined, more than those of Nazareth. Nazareth was uh, farmers and tradesmen. That's what the community was known for. Agricultural. Whatever it was that caused this perspective, he seemed uh, to be that nothing but trouble was going to come out of Nazareth. There's no educational system in Nazareth. I mean, you know how to dig a ditch or make wood structures like windows and doors. Listen, prejudice has blinded many people to the gospel. I was in Israel a number of years ago, and it was amazing. On the Sabbath, nobody drives. And I mean, if you're, if you're a cab driver in Jerusalem on the Sabbath, you go in the wrong side of town, they'll throw rocks at you. Okay, and I mean, it's, because I, I had a bus driver who made a sling that would have been similar to one that David used. <laughs> and we were standing, it's just my character, I guess. So we're standing at the corner of the gate of the new wall to Jerusalem. And he picks up a rock and starts, and there's four lanes traffic going in. And he starts hitting license plates to these cars as they go by. And he says, here, you try it. And I was like, yeah, do you mind? <laughs> I'll start an international incident. There ain't no way I could hit a license plate on a moving car with something that I've never done. So, but it was funny because for a Jew to touch a Gentile on the Sabbath, it was to defile the Jew. And if Messiah shows up, they didn't want to be defiled. So you had all these people all of a sudden who weren't driving, they're walking. Okay, now I didn't know if you recognized or noticed it, but I kind of stand out as a Gentile. Okay? And I would go walking down these sidewalks crowded with people, and it was like parting the Red Sea. Nobody wanted to touch me. Okay? And that's that prejudice. You know why the Arabs and the Jews are fighting? Because the Arabs believe they're God's children. The Jews say they're God's children. You know why the Palestinians? That's the line of Esau. 
Why are they fighting? Well, he sold his birthright. And Jacob I loved. And so now there's that prejudice. It's still there and they're still fighting. But God said, don't worry about it. It's going to be that way until I come and fix it. So prejudice has blinded so many people to the gospel. And we're prejudiced now. There are people that, oh, I don't want to be around them. Because I know, uh, I went back to a high school reunion, a long one, uh, uh, last summer. And everybody, everybody was surprised I was still alive. They had published a list of our class that had died. And everybody says, we thought you would be on that list. And I said, yeah, okay. So did I a couple of times. But anyway. And then they asked me, what am I doing? And it, they're stunned. They said, out of all the people that was in our school... You're not on that list. My uh, grandmother had prayed for decades and decades for a Baptist preacher to be in the family. So my grandma wanted a Baptist preacher. I went and seen my aunt right after her death. And she said, yeah, grandma prayed that there'd be a Baptist preacher. She'd have never dreamed it would be you. <laughs> because, see, we get in our mind this mindset that says that's impossible. Okay, why? Because at some point we all come to the place that I think I'm a little superior to fill in the blank. And that will blind you to the things of God. Because if you look at the time of Christ, the Jewish religious leaders, the experts, those who knew the jot and the tittle, rejected Jesus because... He didn't fit their idea of Messiah. He wasn't from Jerusalem. He wasn't trained in their synagogues. There's a big church in Denver a number of years ago. The pastor was killed in an automobile accident. <laughs> I'm on the executive board of the convention because I have seniority in the state. How weird is that? But anyway, they spent about a year trying to find a pastor. Big church, huge church. They spent about a year. So they called an executive board meeting and we were going to meet their search committee. And we were going to all, everybody, all the experts were all going to get there and find out why nobody was even applying. Okay. So we get in there and they come in and they have this stack of documents. And it says, this is what we are looking for. In our pastor. First, he has to have a doctorate. Second, he's got to be over 40 years of age. And has to have this kind of education and this kind of education. And he's got to be able to do this. He's got to be able to do that. So they, they went on with this big dissertation. And it became my turn to say something. And I said, you know what? And they said, what? I said, you just disqualified Jesus Christ from pastoring your church. Okay. And then I asked him a second question. Where's the widow? You know what the response was? We don't know. Well, what happened after the funeral? We told her she'd be better off if she'd just go back to Missouri where they came from. And you want to know why God ain't giving you a pastor? See what I mean? That's difficult. 
But I rejoice, Nathaniel. He had a serious case of prejudice. But his desire for truth overpowered his prejudice. Had a discussion with a Jewish believer. And there's a big movement in the church now to call them Messianic Jews. Or completed Jews. And we were talking about it. And I was listening. I listen a lot because people like to say a lot. And when I got done, I said, well, that's kind of cool. Because I'm a Messianic Gentile. And he said, what? I said, yeah, I'm a completed Gentile. I don't get that. But that's a prejudice. I got news for you. The Apostle Paul, he was pretty reputable. He said there was Gentiles, Jews, and believers. He said, well, I'd really like to come to your church, but it's not Jewish. Jesus overcame his prejudice and redeemed this man. Jesus knew that he was honest and sincere Jew. What I mean by that, there's no religious hypocrisy. Have you ever run into that? Religious hypocrisy? I have seen people who said, well, they can't be saved. And I said, well, how did you manage? Okay? You read this text on down. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. See, Jesus knew his heart and he knew he sought after God. And if he sought after God, he was looking for Messiah. And there was no deceit in it. I have seen religious people. They are annoying. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? And this is fascinating. Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you, you were under a fig tree. I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. See, he was seeking after. He was seeking after this. There was a longing. If you seek after me with all of your heart, you will find me. In Jesus' days, most of the Jewish people believed that Every circumcised descendant of Abraham was a true Jew. They were beneficiary of the Abrahamic covenant. But the Apostle Paul stated it this way in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is outwardly, nor is circumcision 
that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision is that of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Nathaniel was such a man. Nathaniel was shocked that Jesus... had seen him and described him. I saw you under the tree. You are an honorable man. You do not have deceit. You have circumcision of the heart. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You know what happened? Something good had come out of Nazareth. Listen, the Lord mentioning that fig tree is very, very important. If I may interject here, uh, you guys know I have this fatal flaw of loving history. In the region that they were in, fig trees were very, very common. And you could just go down and grab figs off of them as you were walking around. And a lot of people did this. But the common thing for a fig tree was that it was a source of shade. You get through the summer months in Israel, and it's very, very arid if you get... You stay near the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's a little more lush. Well, it's very lush. It's where blood oranges are grown. Bananas. When I was just outside of Galilee, I was like, that looks like banana grove. And the bus driver said, that's bananas. I said, well, this is a desert. <laughs> what are you doing with bananas? But anyway. But fig trees are, are everywhere. And, and they're used for shade. And he's amazed that he saw him sitting under a shade tree, a fig tree. Okay. In the time of the Gospels, uh, most homes were one room. Okay. And you, you cooked, you ate, you slept all in that one room. So outside there would be these trees and it's a place for shade. But you know what else was there? It is a place that you could be alone. If you've got a one-room house, it's a little difficult to be alone, okay? It would be a little difficult to have your own prayer. It would be difficult to have your own meditation on the Word because you've got a whole bunch of people. You know, I know a lot of people like to study the Bible. I prefer myself to study by myself. I, I Just don't bother me, okay? Because it's just, I don't know, it's, it's easier, okay? It is possible that Nathaniel had been inserting the scriptures underneath that tree, communing with God. Where is this Messiah? I uh, spoke to a rabbi in Jerusalem who is the rabbi of the Temple Mound. And there is an expectation among the Jews for Messiah. They believe that the world around them is coming apart at the seams, which means Messiah is due. Now, he believes that Messiah is going to be this political official and he will be able to dominate the world. Now, I didn't have the heart to tell him he was describing the Antichrist because, you know, hey, I'm a visitor. <laughs> I'm a visitor. <laughs> it just, there's certain times... You know, not everything goes through your head needs to come out your mouth. So I was like, man, I, I know who you're looking for. <laughs> but anyway, but I, I share that with you because when you get into times of trials 
and you're quote unquote religious and it just doesn't seem like it's getting any better. I had this meeting this morning with a man. I tell you what, he makes Murphy look optimistic. And and I told him, I said, I don't know what your problem is. I says, you do spend a lot of time self-absorbed. Okay, I, I may have broken my counseling. But anyway, but I, you, when you're always worried about yourself, when will that stop? But he is trying to figure out, why does the world hate you? The world don't hate you. The world loves you. They're trying to give you everything you asked for. But it just ain't enough, is it? That's what happens to us. That's what happens to religious people. It's very religious. I believe that Nathaniel was under that tree, at least in prayer, maybe searching the Scriptures, trying to figure out when and where and who. And when Jesus saw his open heart, his desire, desire to find Messiah, Jesus personally answered Nathaniel's prayer. Peter says, or Philip says, the one that we've been looking for, come see. Come see. See, when Jesus looks into our heart, each of us, does he see a true believer? Or does he see a hypocrite? The word in the Greek, hypocrite, hypocrites, has to do... They used to do uh, plays in first century, and they would hold these masks up. And it may be a scary mask, maybe a happy mask, maybe a sad mask. But they'd hold this mask up. All right? You didn't know what the face behind it was doing. You just seen whether they were smiling or frowning or whatever it was they were doing. That's the term Hippocrates. I'm showing you one thing, but it's not real. See, Jesus looks at our hearts. You can be very pious. You can be very reverent. Sacred on Sunday. Then what happens? And see, Jesus sees that. I remember one time I had to do a preaching thing in front of a bunch of preachers and Dr. Stephen Olford. I raised my hand because I wanted to go first. He said, uh, why, why, why do you want to go first? I said, I've got to get this over with. <laughs> and he said, all right. Pastors have a tendency. They have what they, uh, they call their sugar sticks. Okay, These are sermons that I've preached that were really good, and I can preach it out of memory or off of my same notes, and I can preach it really good. Okay, Now, uh, I've been doing this for 21 years. I haven't gotten a good one yet. So <laughs> everything I preach is... First time out the door. So I was sitting there talking to his secretary, and she says, are you nervous? I said, yeah, I'm nervous. <laughs> she said, I said, I'm so nervous I couldn't spit if my hands were on fire. And, and she just looked at me, and she says, well, now, Terry, remember, every Sunday you preach before Jesus Christ. And I said, yeah, but he's not sitting there taking notes. <laughs> and that's a little more comforting. So, you and I all have to remember, where are you going to hide from Him? 
And if you're a hypocrite, are you really seeking? Listen, Nathaniel wasn't perfect. None of these guys were, if you're truly honest. But it is through God's provision in that personality, God uses it. He loved God. And he was a diligent student of the word. Those kinds of people, God does great things with. And there's no plan B. There's no plan B. Too many I watch want a superstar. Uh, if you don't believe me, just go turn on some of the Christian television shows. I remember a number of years ago, John MacArthur came up to Riverside Baptist Church to do a biblical exposition. Riverside has a huge auditorium. So I was excited. I'm going to go listen. I think it was one of the first times I ever heard John preach. Personally. So I go up there. There's about 40 of us. To hear Dr. MacArthur preach. Possibly one of the best expositors this nation has ever produced. You know what? Next week, Eb was there. You know who Eb is? Some of you remember Green Acres? Eb was in Green Acres. Eb was in there. And they had four overflow televisions in different parts of the compound for all the people to, to watch. And he basically just told a bunch of Christian jokes. That's strange to me. That is absolutely strange. I know that there are people who say, well, Dr. MacArthur's a lightning rod. Truth is a lightning rod. Truth is a lightning rod. Brothers and sisters... We all kind of look at these names. We think about Philip. We think about Andrew. We think about James. We think about John, Peter, Nathaniel. My heart's prayer is that you will all become Nathaniel, earnestly seeking the Scriptures. Not people talking about the Bible. What does the Bible say? Right? He didn't hide anything in here. He didn't hide it. It's laid right out there. You do have to read it. But it's laid right out there. Please let us be workers approve, rightly dividing truth. Let us pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for these men. And that, Father, even the purpose of Judas Iscariot Father, we see that. Father, I pray that we are each doing a spiritual inventory to see where are we, who are we, understanding our personalities, but Lord, bowing our personalities to the provision of You who created time. Help us to grasp these things, Lord. Help us to be overwhelmed. Father, please, in these strange and difficult times, we need men and women to stand on the authority of Your Word without wavering. Father, let each of us know the book, be confident with the book, and Father, be the foundations and the pillar that the church is in such desperate need of.
Father, may we fall more and more in love with you with every breath you grace us. Until that day, each of our faiths becomes sight. May we run with endurance, focusing on your kingdom and your righteousness. In Christ's name, amen.